Now joining me on Bookmark remotely is Sister Mary Josepha of the Eucharist, OSB, the book Brides of Christ, Sophia Institute Press, and it's great to have you here on EW10 with this wonderful, I'd say, children's book, really, uh, that was put together by all the Benedictines, right? Yes, indeed. Thank you for having us, Doug. Oh, it's a thrill. It's great. Uh, Brides of Christ, it's a wonderful book that's great for kids. What was the idea behind putting this book together? The book had an interesting beginning, actually. We have a number of sisters in our community who are quite talented with drawings and illustrations, but it, it came to be shortly after we sent several sisters to our daughter house in Ava, Missouri. And so having a number of sisters at the mother house and then a few sisters on foundation, we started exchanging notes back and forth. And some of the sisters realized that a picture tells her is worth a thousand words. And so they started drawing illustrations of our daily life and little cartoons of funny events that would happen in the cloister. And Mother Abba seeing these beautiful illustrations going back and forth said, this is a, a, an appropriate way to share our life with other people. They can see how the cloister is indeed a place of joy. Um, and right. uh, in a disarming, charming way, I think the pictures tell the story of our day-to-day -day life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things one would take away from this is that is the joy in your life, uh, which many times is counterintuitive to today's society who view, oh, well, these people are, are, are shunned away and they're just walking around with dour faces and looking at their feet while they pray. And that's not the case at all, right? Not at all. Especially in the Benedictine house, there's a family spirit. And we have a great deal of joy knowing that um, we've given ourselves entirely to God who loves us personally, um, profoundly, beyond our understanding. And so that sort of love brings forth a, a joyful response, a generous response from the, the bride of Christ. And I thought it was interesting, too, you kind of lay out the book chronologically in a sense of following a young girl who is, who's just entering and as she goes through her various stages. Whose idea was that? Yes, that was Mother Avis's idea, and it provides a beautiful context for the illustrations because you can see the young girl entering and going through the stages of formation and experiencing the life um, day by day. Right, I thought this was interesting too. When she first joins, she sang, and, and all of this is rhyme too, just so people know. She sang the hymns with zest and vim and, year, and nearly yelled her prayers. Keep peace, dear child, her elders smiled. We see you're filled with joys, but let the calm of chant and psalm replace your inner noise. Newcomers find that quiet minds assist them in their day. So the importance of quiet, we come in from such a noisy world, so it must be an interesting transition for someone to move into that kind of quiet, right? Yes, and it takes a long time. In fact, the silence that we try to cultivate takes a lifetime to, um, to cultivate in one's heart. I think it's particularly difficult in this culture where we're bombarded with noise, you know, background noise or advertisements or other kinds of media always competing for our attention. So the young women entering have to go through almost a detoxification. Um, they have to learn not to be constantly reaching for a cell phone that's no longer there or checking email that they no longer have. Um, but as, as they slowly get used to not having those devices, the extra media, then they start to turn their gaze inward and are more attentive to the voice of the divine bridegroom speaking in their hearts. Right. 
In fact, you talk about the, the beginning of the postulancy uh, till they make their ultimate vow with the radiant bliss from Our Lady's kind kiss. What is Our Lady's kind kiss in your mind? Um, I think that our life as a cloistered nun is supposed to emulate Our Lady's mm -hmm. in a special way. We're supposed to follow her around the house like daughters. And she provides for us the example, but also the grace for each moment of the day that we need. I think that that special grace that we pray for in our Hail Mary, pray for us now and at the hour of her death, but particularly now when I need it, um, then Our Lady gives us that grace, and that's her kiss. Right. One of the one of the cute pictures, and and there's lots of humor that one can get from this uh, a, a mischievous calf munching on a veil. I'm assuming that wasn't your veil. He he was munching. It was he or not she was my munching veil. on. Okay. But somebody's yes, veil got munched. It was munched. a veil. Yes, indeed. Fortunately, the postulant saved it before the calf was able to ingest it. <laughs> what do you think was attractive about that veil? <laughs> Maybe it was flapping in front of the calf's nose. <laughs> Oh, yeah, go. Okay. The other thing you talk about here, you say in, in, in talking with the postulants, learning about, they say, offer up every trial, keeping peace all the while. That's such a Catholic idea in a lot of ways that people don't understand that idea of offering up every trial. Yes. Um, I think it's, it's good for people to realize that the life in the cloister is not free from those rubs that we encounter anywhere we are any state in life, there are always going to be rubs, whether with our temperament or with the neighbor we have, the work that we're trying to accomplish. Um, but we also realize that in God's providence, he's allowed all the circumstances, be it the weather or our temperaments or the temperaments of the people around us, it's all provided for. And for that fatherly intent in, in God's heart that we are purified through those trials and also that we gain merit for ourselves and for the whole world. And this is especially important for a bride of Christ because we're here for our own sanctification, but also to obtain graces for people throughout the world. We're supposed to have spiritual children for our bridegroom. I see. So uh, the, the postulancy, how long does that usually run before one would be entering the novitiate? Usually about a year. Mm -hmm. now, and then after a year, they put a bridal gown and they right. go to the church and receive the religious habit and a new name. Right, so there's a transition there. Why a new name? Well, if you look in the Old Testament or even the New Testament, a new, a new name is always a sign of God entrusting a special mission to a person. So you can think of um, in the Old Testament, uh, Jacob's name was changed to Israel when he was called to be the father of the chosen people. Or in the New Testament, uh, St. Peter's name was changed from Simon when he was entrusted with the keys of the kingdom of heaven and the governance of the church. And so for us, when we're espoused to Christ and we take the religious state as our way of life, he gives us a new name also. And Christ wants to call us by a new name that will help us understand better our new state in life, our new relationship with him and our new mission. Now, as the name, let's say that you got, are you involved at all with suggesting, or is this something a mother just decides this is what it's going to be? In our community, we're allowed to make three suggestions, but Mother Abbess could modify them or combine them or pick something entirely different. And we've seen all those sorts of things throughout the years. You know, one sister received her baptismal name, another sister received something she hadn't asked for. Um, 
Well, it's interesting, too, because one of the things besides chant being an important part of what's your life, but also the Eucharist, how important the Eucharist is, even the line, Lord, by thy will, one day I'll go back home to thee. That's very central to your life, right? It is. Uh, the great privilege of the cloistered life is that we live under the same roof with our Eucharistic Lord. And we spend so many hours of the day chanting the Psalms in his Eucharistic presence, and of course, tending attending Holy Mass. So the Eucharist is really the sun of our life, the, um, the source of our, our energy and our fruitfulness. It's because of our close contact with Christ in the Eucharist. Now, uh, do you really welcome all comers, including spiders and snakes? <laughs> we kind of encourage the spiders and snakes to go on a, their own way, not to come too close to the rest of us. The rest of the animals are mostly welcome, though. Right. You also talk about, as the fact that you grow your own food, every bite is imbued with the love that the sisters have for each other. Do you really feel that? Yes, and that's another beautiful aspect of our life. So we're called to give our lives to Christ as our spouse, but in doing so, we, we form a very strong sisterly bond with our sisters. And the sort of work that we do around the house becomes a work of charity. So when we're cooking, we're not thinking just of getting um, the kitchen work done, but we're thinking, I'm feeding the hungry. I'm actually feeding my hungry sister. Or the sister in charge of making the habits is thinking, I know I'm clothing my sisters. I'm repairing their habits. Um, and working in the garden, I'm growing the food that they will eat. Right. And also, as we had an image up before of the making the vestments, which I think you do as one of your ways of generating some income, right? Yes. It's a beautiful way to support ourselves because it doesn't it isn't just um, a manual work for the sake of money, but it's a, an expression of our spiritual apostolate to pray for priests. And so as we're sewing the vestments, we're praying for the priests who will be wearing that. And it's especially beautiful right before ordination season. You know, usually priests are ordained in April, May, June. So during that intense season in the sewing room when we're sewing all of their ordination vestments, we're thinking of the culmination of those years of formation and seminary and praying that the graces yeah. of ordination will take fruit in his life. Right. And and how long is one in an novitiate before one's prepared to take final vows? Well, there are two years in the novitiate. Um, so that's the training period for the young sister. And then she can make temporary vows for three years. And then after those three years, after a total of six years in formation, then she has the opportunity to make solemn vows forever. Right. Do you have wheelchair races in, 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 in the Abbey, or is that uh, a little exaggerated? Not at all. We don't have them as much as we used to. That, that page in the book is actually a cameo appearance of our foundress, Sister Wilhelmina. So she passed away four years ago. Um, so since her passing, we haven't had as much wheelchair activity um, but we have fond memories of the energy with which she would go to all of the daily activities. You know, I, and when I was a novice, I was responsible for helping her to go to the chapel at different points in the day. And if she was always so eager to go, she would start her little poem, run, run, run to heaven fun. <laughs> and I'd be running behind her saying, no, Sister Willina, not too fast. There you go. Well, I'll let this quote, and you show the sisters all working and cleaning up, showing love to their spouse as they tend to his house, while he keeps their hearts spotless from sin.
Yes, it's a beautiful thing to think that even the most mundane activities, like mopping a floor or dusting, is somehow transformed into an act of religion by the religious life. You know, the dusting a table is a, an act of religion because it's done directly for Christ, our spouse. I like this comment, too, that you have in a wonderful picture of the, the sisters. It says, now weddings take only a day for most folks, but marrying God takes long years. It does. We like to think of it, uh, our years in formation as being like a wedding in slow motion, you know? So we, when we walk down the aisle as postulants about to receive the habit, that's the beginning. And then when we reach the sanctuary, we pronounce our vows at the end of our novitiate, that's like the I do. And then I remember my novice mistress saying the very last part, um, when we've, we've vowed to God forever our lives, she said, that's the you may kiss the bride. And with the passing of days, more young girls come to stay. And then you say, and the old ones make sp new space for the new. As the happy years fly, they recall time's gone by. Does time fly in, a, in an abbey or is it slow? It's a strange combination. On the one hand, we feel like um, the days are very peaceful and tranquil because they are so ordered. Um, there doesn't, there isn't the hectic pace that people experience in day-to-day -day life in the world. But there's also a rapidity because as we go through the liturgical year, year after year, it develops a familiarity, um, and it it seems like it it gathers speed as it gathers intensity. So here we are. Um, you know, one one liturgical year succeeds another, but we recognize it better. We're living it more deeply, and so it's, it somehow picks up speed as we go, too. Well, you certainly uh, portray the adventures galore with the Brides of Christ in this book. Thank you so much for your time, Sister Mary Josepha of the Eucharist, OSB, the book Brides of Christ, published by Sophia, available through the EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com, of course, for that book. Thank you, Sister. Thank you, Doug. God bless you. And speaking with author Kate Sidner, her book, Good Night Jesus, published through the EWTN Publishing and available through Religious Catalog. Kate, this is your first book. Why did you decide to write a book? Yes, it is my first book. Um, I decided to write a book because I saw a need for more Catholic and Christian books, um, and my the thought came to me to write this book one night, and my husband encouraged me, you know, to get started. And I've always loved to read. And when I started, I used to work for EWTN. When I worked here, a couple colleagues um, kept telling me, like, "Hey, you should write a book. You should write a book." Uh, so I had these, you know, nudges along the way, and then finally, my husband's encouragement. What, um, what is it, it uh, that someone saw in you that said, you know, you should write a book? I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> I do love to write, and mm -hmm. I think it's my teaching background. And then I have two kids. Um, yes, and I just do, I do love writing. Mm -hmm. Now, when you were writing before, what did you tend to write? Um, I mean, when I worked for EWTN, I was a travel coordinator, right. so I wrote, uh, you know, emails to um, the people traveling right. here and but when you were growing up was there a kind of a style of writing you used to do besides loving to read um, I guess not really not specifically a style mm -hmm. 
So you felt comfortable deciding to write a children's book because you felt that was something you had the best sense of as being a young mother? Correct. And as a teacher, you know, in my past background. Which was what? Um, early childhood education. Okay. So I was a teacher. I taught fifth grade um, for a couple of years and I taught preschool for a couple of years. How was it to teach? These days it seems like it's a lot tougher than it used to be. <laughs> it is tough. Um, I loved it my first couple years. Um, yes, it's just, you know, it can be a thankless job, which a lot of jobs are. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a lot of work to go into being a teacher that I think people don't always understand. Um, you're always answering questions from parents. Even when you're not in the classroom, you're preparing materials for the class. You're trying to make that lesson plan a little bit better for next time or trying to help the kid that's not, not right on um, cue with the rest of the class right. or the one that's way above. Right. You know, there's so many things that you have to keep in the back of your mind right. when you're teaching. And um, when I um, made the decision to get married and have children, I decided that I wanted to take a break from teaching. Right. So when you decided to, with the prompting of your husband, write this book, from the time you said, okay, I'll do it, to the time we're sitting here, how long has that been? Oh gosh, it's probably been a year and a half, mm -hmm. um, maybe almost two years from when I decided to write it and then actually wrote it and then the illustration process and now here with you. Well, would, would you say that when you started writing it, this is exactly where you were going or was it a learning process for you and, and, and a, you know, kind of an evolution of the idea? Um, I kind of knew where I was going with mm -hmm. it because um, I really wanted to incorporate my prayers at home with my kids and that gratitude list at the end of the night that they say all the things that they're grateful for mm -hmm. throughout their day. So I really wanted to incorporate that into this book. So I knew some of the major ideas, major pages mm -hmm. like or blessings that I wanted to put into this book. Mm -hmm. um, but then when I started writing, um, I added some more, um, you know, and, and prayed on it and some different things mm -hmm. throughout my life where I, I decided that was important right. to add to it. What was the most surprising thing your kids out of the blue decided to be thankful for one night? <laughs> Probably just bubbles or, um, Something silly like right. that, blocks, um, just something that you wouldn't think, think of, right? to be grateful for because I tend to only be grateful for or thank God for like those really big moments in my life. Like when I married my husband or the birth of my children, um, you know, just those really big moments um, I thank God for. But the truth is that my children have taught me and remind me every day that God's in everything. He's right. in the small things, like there's joy in every single day, everywhere you look. Right. Absolutely. Now, in the book itself, uh, how many pages, and it's not even a page, it's kind of a, what a, like a board book, <laughs> yes. right? Is that what it's called, a board book? It is called a board book because it's very, um, it's made out of a certain type of cardboard. Right. Um, so it's stiff, so even the littlest of hands can hold this and make it theirs and turn the pages and hold it upside down, you know, learn how to uh, hold a book, because um, that's mm. what my kids did, did too, and I really envisioned that when making that decision for it to be a board book, um, I envisioned one-year-olds, six-month-olds, right. holding it even though right. they can hold it the wrong way and, you know, to make it theirs and without the fear of ripping the pages. Well, that's it. It's a little tougher, you know, for the kids to kind of destroy <laughs> this as quickly, right? Now, yes. in the format of the book, you, uh, you know, it, the dedication, this book is dedicated to your children. Your husband loved to, to read and pray with them each night. And you started off with good night, mom, and good night, dad. And then at the bottom of it, Honor your father and your mother from Exodus. So why did you decide to put Bible verses that kind of correspond to each page's statement? 
Yes. Um, well, it was really important to me for these blessings um, not to be just things my kids made up or things that your parents tell you that you need to be grateful for these things. But I also wanted the Bible verses to show that the Bible says these things are important too, um, and it's not just your mom and dad saying them. Right. I, I think it's great too. Besides brothers and sisters, you've got the grandparents and all the family we have, you are a gift to your grandparents and uh, from Proverbs. And it's tough too because in many times with uh, the world we live in today, a lot of grandparents are separated from where their, their grandkids might actually live. Right. Exactly. I mean, uh, my husband's parents live in Colorado and my parents live in Houston, but um, they probably fly out here like every other month to see huh, the kids. I'll bet. And <laughs> uh, we're so grateful for them. Um, definitely wanted them to be in the book. Now, was it the kids' idea, your idea to put teachers in here? Um, actually, my older daughter said she wanted to be, you know, thank God for her for her preschool teacher. Um, so she said her name and then I, of course, mm -hmm. changed it to teachers and all those who guide us along our way. Cause that can be numerous people. So why did you decide to just work out that way that you kind of get halfway through the book, you got good night to this day and the fun we had, then it goes into good night the Bible, good night church, good night God, good night Jesus, and it got more reflective and more faith filled. Right. Why did you decide to lay it out that way? Um, because I wanted that to be the end of the book. I wanted that to be the last thing that you talk about with your children um, because it's the most important thing in my life um, is my relationship with Jesus and our Lord. And I want my children to have that same relationship. So I think it was important to put that at the end to make it serious. Of course, the first pages are fun, the blocks and bubbles and grandparents and all that. Um, but I wanted it to end on the true meaning of this book, which is Jesus. Right. We, we say on the back here about the idea of God's love for them as they learn to rest in Jesus' arms close to his heart. That's the imagery you want your children to walk away with, right? Exactly. Um, I, you know, I lean on to Jesus for all different things in my life, for sorrow, for joy, and I want my children to have that same relationship, too, that, you know, mom is always there for you, dad's always there for you, your grandparents are, too, but God is always there, you know. Mm -hmm. Now, the, uh, as far as the idea of repetition in the book and that idea, because, you know, good night, moon, good night, Jesus, that kind of repetition, why is that soothing, as you say, for kids? Um, well, repetition is soothing because it says the same thing over and over again. Um, and through my elementary education background, um, we're taught that that repetition is soothing because it's helping them learn, mm -hmm. you know, saying the same thing over and over and over again. And their attention spans are really short, and saying the same thing over and over again, you know, really puts emphasis on that. Um, and it's, it helps, helps children learn the importance of it. Mm -hmm. And Anne Morelli, the artist, how did you pick her? EWTN did. Okay. <laughs> and they did such an excellent job. Um, yeah, she was great to work with. Now, as far as you for writing this book, you have any other ideas in mind? Yes, I did say my next book was going to be entirely devoted to Mary. Mm -hmm. So um, I was thinking maybe a good night, Mary. Mm -hmm. You know, continue the brand of the good night series. Um, that was my next idea. Right. Okay. Well, very good. Well, when you get that done, I'm sure EWTM Publishing would be interested, and we'd love to have you back on the program. Good luck with the book and uh, getting the sales out there. A wonderful thing for Christmas. Good night, Jesus, by Kate Sidner. 
Thank you, Doug. Hey, it's great to see you again. <laughs> great Kate. To see always, you. always a pleasure. And this book is naturally available through the EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com, the place for all great Catholic items and especially Catholic books. I'm Doug Keck. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you.